Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living, and we will win the day. And you can check out my Audible on Amazon, African-American Athletes Who Made History. I'm Derek White, author of Challenge of Blackness, as well as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jay Gaither, Florida A&M, the history of black college football. Welcome back, Lou. Ah, welcome back. It's it's been about four to five months. It's good to be back. I don't, I don't know if I've actually talked to you in four to five months either. You're busy golfing, uh, busy with youth wow. soccer. So it's good to you know hear from you and, and see you again. Some of us are not on sabbatical. Let's just say that. Ooh, some of us don't have a one-one. You know what I mean? So we got to get sabbatical. You know, we grind <laughs> for like I get one sabbatical every seven years, and then people who don't get it like it must be nice. I'm like, damn, like it must I, be nice. Just, I never had a sabbatical. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, let me tell you though. I will tell you, it's nice. Let's so so you know, li- listeners. We're just getting back into the swing of things. It's five months, so we're just gonna shoot the breeze catch up on everything we haven't caught up on but let me talk about how great sabbatical is i i drop off I get wait, up. Wait, wait, before you go huh? explain to the people who are not in academia what a sabbatical is so that i don't know i get time off no. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at my school i think it's one every seven years we get a semester off at other schools if you're like big time uh you get a lot more i think some places like one every three years and then one then a about you know then a real sabbatical um so one every seven years, we get time off to to really work on what we want to work on. Some people choose to do an article. Some people, back in the day, you could just say, hey, I'm going to read a bunch of books, right? You can't do that anymore, you know, government money. Uh, so so I decided, I was supposed to have it last year. Didn't happen because of COVID. I have it this year. And I'm working on my book. Listeners, if you know me, I'm working on a black quarterback book. I, I know what I'm working on. I know there are others out there. There's another one coming out. Trust me, it's not going to be mine. I read the other one. I'm sure the other person's not doing the same thing I'm doing. Um, so I just write. I, I either read my notes or write. Um, I think since early August, I'm probably I'm over fifty thousand words. So, so and as I was telling uh, you before, and and I'll probably tweet it out later. As everyone knows, there's two things, right? There's writing and editing. So I'm able to get fifty thousand words. It doesn't mean they're good words, right? But they're they're words that I want to get down on paper. And then I'll craft it. I'll correct all the stuff over the next few months. But I think I probably got about 30,000. So who knows? Like last week I sat down to do Marlon Briscoe stuff. When I say, listeners, when I say Marlon Briscoe stuff, I'm not talking about the stuff we all know. We just uh, talk about him as a pioneer, then pass over it. I have the sports, you know, I have, you know me, I have the sports pages from the time he started to the end. And I'm giving you, I'm not giving you a day by day blow, but really in depth, a lot of quotes from opposing coaches, players, from his coach, just really trying to get, and this is what I'm doing throughout the book. I'm trying to tell a story about something else, but if I mention somebody, I'm going to let you know his background. I'm going to let you know the scouting report. You're going to know his 40 time. You're going to know what offense he came from in high school and college. So I'm really trying to do a really detailed and narrative driven book that I hope is very readable. So I, you know, I'm enjoying it. I'm learning a lot of new things along the way. Um, so it's been fun. That's ambitious. I like it. I like yeah. it. 
I'm an expert on the split T offense. The split T. Look at you. Listen, uh, did you know the Detroit Lions won the world championship in 1952 using the split T with Bobby Lane? Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that sounds like me. When I learned out on this uh, on formations and talking about Gaither and all that, yeah, yeah, no, no I'm and honestly, I'm nerding out on formations now. It's it's so interesting to to read a, a lot of the. I've gotten a lot of the old stuff, right? Stuff that was written in real time about formations, about football, and it's been really helpful just trying to understand a black quarterback. And I don't think anyone's ever done that before, right? Like we've done it from a distance, or we've asked people fifty years, thirty years after the fact but really trying to get into what it means to be a quarterback at that time and, and read all the literature out there from, from the forties to fifties and sixties to understand that position. And so that's where I'm, I'm trying to come from on top of all the race stuff. So it's been, it's been fun. No, I think it's important. I think one of the things that we have in sports writing, honestly, is we have a lot of folks who do, there are people who do technical stuff, like who do formations and talk about that kind of stuff. Then you have kind of storytellers, right? Like people who tell the kind of big 50,000 foot story with some really important details. And then you have historians who are like contextualizing all that. But what what you find is that it's hard to do all three of those, right? Yeah. Like, And I think that, that the folks who really know the technical football stuff are not, his, you know, they're not professional historians. So they're not going to get the nuances of the importance of, you know, the GI bill on the quarterback or whatever, you know, like these kinds of like subtle things that we as historians like, oh, this could only happen at this point in time in history because of these broader circumstances. Right. And so if someone doesn't lay it out, it becomes that. And then you have like kind of really good journalists who tell amazing stories, but they don't they know they're not trying to get bogged down in the technical stuff of of like, you know, split line T and why the T formation works and what ends the T, you know, like those kinds of questions. And so I think one of the things that me and you do, and this is one of the things we've always talked about before, is like really getting into the, the nooks and crannies of of trying to blend those kinds of narratives before. And I think some of the very best sports history does that. And I think this is what your book is going to do on, on, on the black quarterback. We can't wait. Oh. Uh, me, too. I just want to be done. I can't, I can't wait either. And it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of, um, stuff from about other guys, right? And, you know, you know, Doug, obviously Williams will obviously be in it and, and people know a lot of stuff, but I, I got a lot of stuff that people probably haven't seen just to, to be able to tell a story about him and some other guys and, and just really digging, you know, digging in the crates as I do. And, and for me, the job is to figure out what goes in, what goes out and, and, Right now, everything goes in. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the rough thing. We got to cut. I'm putting it. Right. I'm writing about John Walton, right? And, and <laughs> listeners, by the way, John Walton was the first black quarterback in the Philadelphia Eagles. He was also the first black quarterback signed with the intent to being, being a quarterback by the NFL. Um, so, there. Sorry. Look at you. Go ahead. Yeah. Look at random packs. Look at this. Right. Um, so, what did we miss since July 1st? That's the last time we were. Man. So, July, speaking about the black quarterback, we did, I think we did a Marlon Briscoe episode. At least that's we what did. our log says. Oh, yes. I don't know if we, I can't remember recording it. We've missed a lot. We've, we have the retirement of Serena. Um, we have last week, what, you know, Todd Bowles' conversation on coaching. We have the start of uh, foot, NFL. Oh, my God. We got Hendon Hooker, who's a great college quarterback who, who should go number one to the Lions. We have so much. We have me beating you in fantasy football. Yes. Um, so I think this I think this show, we should just rapid fire, give our thoughts. And then, you know, next time we come back, well, we could drill down as we always do. OK, um, where yeah. do you want to start? 
Well, let's start with you and Serena because I know we were supposed to record like a month ago. We everybody we have like very busy and, and difficult schedules, um, but now we're here. Um, do you remember anything what you want to say about Serena's retirement or just her legacy? No, I, no, I, I don't remember what I had. I probably had some random, random notes somewhere. Put you um, on bl- yeah. Um, but I will say that uh, Serena's retirement is. Uh, she made a great showing at at the U.S. Open, and I think that it really was a fitting place for her to really exceed expectations. Um, it was clear that when she lost, it was clear that she had not played enough. Just if she'd have played just a tad bit more, she'd have been extremely dangerous. And I think that you know some of it was fitness. You could tell at the end where she just had not played enough matches to to really get in kind of tip top match shape to play every other day. And then she was playing doubles for a couple of days. Um, but I thought, you know, the New York crowd with the the celebrities, I, I thought it was the kind of send off um, that Serena deserved, but to be perfectly right. honest, right. To, to have, to have Tiger Woods and Oprah and all these celebrities who were like, you know, giving her her flowers. Um, I think that's the kind of, you know, obviously she would have loved to have won, uh, you know, but like, I think, she did enough. She brought enough excitement into the into the into the U.S. Open that it was fitting. It's the kind of ending that we write about. I mean, you know, we love to, as as scholars. You know, there's that that story when they write that out in 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 a kind of in a kind of journalistic fashion. We're going to be talking about who's in the crowd and all these people are paying ten thousand dollar you know a ticket to you know thousands of dollars for seats in the upper nosebleed just to say they saw Serena coming in camping out early to try to get try to get one of the extra seats and whatnot and staying all day and so that's you know that's fantastic and you know we got to see that montage that they put together like (laughs) the three I think they thought they were going to play it once and then they ended up playing it like four days days. (laughs) yeah yeah. well I think too it just shows how dominant she was right as a player like that you can come in and not not really play a lot over the last few years, right? And then still be people think that you're just gonna come in and dominate. And no other no other athlete probably could do that, especially post prime, right? Where you mm-hmm. think they're gonna come in and just just dominate, especially in a solo thing, right? If this was boxing, it wouldn't happen. Like you'd been knocked out, right? And that's the beauty of, the, uh, of it that it's not boxing. And I, I remember somebody saying like she did, her and Venus did for tennis what Tiger said he would do for golf and never did and i know you know Derek white golfs all the time but part of that is you know part of that that is true right that that idea that there are i want to say a lot more because we have to be clear on this everyone acts we we act like there's a lot of black women playing tennis there's like a handful right so on the one hand more in there but it's just a handful and and there's still to me it's like okay there still needs to be more to be done that's not on serena that's just on us having to recognize that there still needs uh, more doing there. But the other part I always want folks to remember is that even before Serena Venus played, black folks were playing tennis, right? And, right. and they had their own, right? In fact, Richard, I believe Richard is Williams is a, a member of the what ATA, the ATA uh, American yeah. Tennis Association, right? So black folks, I, I want to say 1916, the ATA started their own tennis situation uh, association, and I. I suggest people look up um, and everything that they had to go through and some of their championships like Aura Washington. So black tennis was was alive. It was well. It was thriving. But when you get to the Arthur Ashes, the Thea Gibsons, and then, you know, Zena Garrison's, everyone else, the whole point was 
expansion and competition and, and and quite frankly not just proving that you're better but proving that you belong right the mm-hmm. way the way a lot of black americans saw sports was just and i talked about this that we were with day but just beyond just the tennis court or the playing field or whatever that white people can finally see that integration is going to be okay right yeah, that yeah. if if what you say is true, then everything will work out. If I had the merit, then I'll have the opportunity. And that's how they looked at people like an Althea or Arthur. And then even into the nineties and early two thousands, like a Serena. And then they just exploded and, and made it, I think made it better for everybody. But the other thing too, is with their careers, it's not just Serena, it's Richard. Right. And I think mm-hmm. the movie does a great job, but showing that, you know, if you're into it, if you're willing to invest the time and you're not a jerk, your kids can make it in, in sports and turn out to be okay, right? And yeah. I think that's the lesson. So many of them don't turn out to be okay. So many of them struggle. I think when this is not like sending stray bullets at Naomi Osaka. I'm not saying anything about her parents, but she struggled, right, with mm-hmm. – she got there and she's, she's struggling. This is not a bad thing. But I think nobody attaches it to the fact that, yeah, you've been playing tennis since you're a little kid and your only goal was to be the best in the world. And once you get there, it's a struggle, right? Because now everybody knows who you are. Everybody wants your time. Yeah. And I think a lot of these great athletes deal with that. Yeah, it's a lot more about the climb than it is the the reach of the peak, right? Like, I will say this. So the one thing about Serena, before we move on to our next topic, is that, like, I think that is fascinating to think about how she has – actually changed t- change tennis right like i looked at the uh, the folks that she was beating and then the people who went on to win the uh the u.s open and they're like you know you know when we were younger there used to be a lot of serve and volley folks right? right like they would show these they would serve it in and they would serve it at an angle and then they would get a you know odd return and they would run to the net and like you hardly ever see serve and volley and like part of that's the power right you can't return the serve when it's coming at you like 110 and so one of the things that's interesting is to think about when we were younger and 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 Serena and Venus first got on the scene the number one thing was that they served the ball so much harder than everybody else right and then now when you look at all these young tennis players white black or other they're all hitting the ball like that became the new requirement right. to play right and i think about you know Tiger has not been able to open the doors for, uh, for golf. And there's, I think there's some other structural things that, in play there. But I will say that he changed the game in the way that they play, right? Like right. everybody Going plays, long, yeah. like, everybody plays like Tiger. Everybody's playing, you know, uh, driver wedge. That's, you know, that's the goal because they're hitting it 300, 333, you know. And so I think that it's interesting to think about how, you know, these iconic athletes at these particular moments change how the the very thing I, I you know i gave a talk about uh jim mcdaniels uh the the great center from western kentucky and it, you know i think about how like when he comes out of high school in 1967 everybody's looking for the next kareem right and so when we look at all these big men from the 70s right like uh for spencer haywood who was on our show to artist gilmore all these guys because they're all trying to be versus like will and then it's Kareem's a better version of that, right? And now they're right. all looking for that same kind of player. And none of them can match Kareem, right? Like, it's like Kareem is one of one, right? 
<laughs> like Steph Curry? <laughs> like Steph Curry, right? Like okay, Everyone's shooting threes, but you don't have Steph. So it's just like, gosh, it's ugly <laughs> basketball. Or like everybody was looking for Michael Jordan. You remember right. that, right? Like when we were looking for the big guard and they were like, you know, Anthony Hardaway can be the next Magic. And, you know, Anthony Hardaway was a very good player, but he wasn't Magic, right? Like there's a there's a thing where you talk about that's what makes certain people iconic. And I think Serena and Venus really changed the game and the whole calculus about from youth tennis to the professional ranks, like what is it expected to, what are you looking for in order to be successful at the highest level? And I think that's an important part that's going to, you know, I hope that when we pay attention to, we're just not talking about their resilience and them being from Compton or their father, but that they play the kind of tennis, they force everybody to, to adapt to them rather than them trying to adapt to everyone else. Right. And that's, I think that's the fascinating when you look at it, how much, Black athletes in general has have changed their sports and how the sport is played. Like, uh, you know, when Jackie comes into the major league, now all of a sudden small ball comes back in because that's what they're doing in Negro leagues. Now, obviously, that they don't play that way anymore. And 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 my guess if unless it's playoff time, right? But my guess if you played more like that, you do okay. Like I believe I think a couple of years ago when the Kansas City Royals won, they were playing more like more like small that. Ball. But but they just 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 changed the game. Whether it's Serena Tiger. How Jackie comes in, you know, black quarterbacks or, or mobile quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I'm, you know, deep into this, when you see someone like Marlon Briscoe, it's it's like to me the best way to explain it if you're local in Denver at that time would be Lynn Sanity, right? Like, yeah, like it was crazy, and it could it sh- could have changed the game, right? Like him or a Fran Tarkenton, where where people could have been like, you know what, Let's having a quarterback being able to run, right, <laughs> and give us some extra yards, and and actually having somebody there. Would have been good. Like, no, nah, we want statues back there. But now, if you're not mobile, you're not playing, right? Like someone like a Josh Allen, you know, I often joke on Twitter. I always put it's my the favorite white. picture ever, like the white Mike Vick picture. <laughs> someone like him, he exists because of Randall Cunningham, right? Like he that's why he's there, because Randall came in and now you got you got they got what they wanted. They got the height, they got the arm, and they got the speed. And now people start looking. Now, obviously, defense got faster, but defense were always, the more I read about it, they're always big and fast. And Deacon Jones is getting in on you in, in the 60s. And people are like, nah, nah, we'll stick to our, our, our we'll stick to 10 Deacon Jones tells you he got right. like 100 more sacks than he had because them dudes were standing back there. He was like, oh this my is God. Way right. right. I bet he right. was, I, you know, no one probably asked him this question. I bet he was like, these quarterbacks in the NFL are actually probably easier to get get to than the ones he played against in, in HBCU. Oh, I, I guarantee you because when Briscoe was playing, they're like, yeah, I don't want to play against this guy. Like, I'm tired. Like, I can't. Coach was like, yeah, give me a big give me a big statue. But the player's like, I, I can't chase him around all the time, right? They, yeah. Like, they're huffing and puffing trying to get this guy. And um, that's like, I mean, that's also yeah. like, uh, you know, like you brought up Fran Targeting and Manning, right? You know, like, not not Peyton, but the father, right? Like, Archie, all those, Archie, Archie was out there, like, running around. And I think that was interesting is that they thought that those people were like, interesting and quirky but rather not as the future right and right. they all but those guys could play for years right targeting archie manning can play for years in ways that black quarterbacks could not be seen they were all moved to corner um right who had the same skill set right um right the same skill set yeah and so yeah i think that i think that's important to think about like when we think about serena's what else we miss what else we miss oh my gosh bro uh, everything um <laughs> like we've we've literally missed what do you think we'll, we'll just go back a week what do you think about Todd Bowles um so listeners if you don't know Todd Bowles is the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach of the Buccaneers and somebody asked him put him 
I guess some people say it is an awkward position, but he's been dealing with this, you know, since he got into coaching. But I asked him his thoughts about coaching against Mike Tomlin, two black head coaches. It doesn't happen a lot, right? It's happened mm-hmm. more since um what I think Dennis Green and Tony Dungy on a Monday night football was a pretty big deal in the nineties mm-hmm. back when those teams were, were, were both kind of good. Um, but he was like, I don't think about race. Or, what does he say? Like, I don't see color. I don't, we don't think yeah. about race. And he actually like blamed that. it on the media. Uh, what are your thoughts like that? Because I think often we're kind of, we're not coaches, but we're off, we are in the same similar position. I know I am right. We go to these PWIs. There's only, there's very few of you and you do get asked these kind of questions all the time about representation. I mean, I, I, I understand like football coaches, you know, this is like you, you're working on a football book. I've written a football, football coaches are generally conservative, mm-hmm. right? I think the sport in and of itself, like we, we think of it as, you know, whatever these tacticians, but they're, and they are like, when it's game week, they're not really thinking about the color of the coach. Honestly, they're thinking about like, you know, can I win this week? Because right. in the NFL, it's like week to week, do I get to keep my job, right. right? And I think Todd Bowles is in a situation where he, you know, if you ask him frankly, um, at the time, I think that's the right the answer he had on his head. If you ask him at the end of the season where he thought about it and, you know, had a, a longer view and right. didn't have the pressure of like, you know, the result gliding on this week, I think he would be like, oh, okay, of course it's significant because this is why – you know, when we're looking at this next hiring cycle, I think if they'd asked this question closer to the hiring cycle as opposed to the middle of the week, they might have gotten a different da- a different answer. I think those coaches see all those kinds of questions as um, distraction. Now, I will say that this is also tied to Todd Bowles not often being a head coach, right? Like, I think he what it really also spoke to was a kind of uncomfortableness with in front of the media. Whereas if you had asked Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin may have gave you a canned answer, but it had been an answer that he, he right. you know, because he's been a head coach now for uh, 15 years or something like right, that, right? right? You know? And yeah, I mean, at the very least, he should have a canned answer, right? Like, this is blah, blah, blah. At the very least, because it shows that you've thought about it, um, and it is important, and I think it's important to a lot of people. But you're right, like, football coaches are conservative, and no, and th- there are very few black coaches who've ever been allowed to have a personality, right? Right. Um, I mean, the two that that come to mind are both been at Jackson State, right? John Merritt, who was at Jackson State before Tennessee, before he goes to Tennessee State, what, in 63? Mm-hmm. And Deion Sanders, right? And so we, even with those guys with personalities, we look at them like, oh my gosh, what's this? I remember watching um, Hard Knocks on, on HBO about my my least favorite coach, Dan Campbell, who's, who's a great soundbite, but just can't coach it. It just irks me because you know that there's what irks me, and this is how this is why I say we've we're not anywhere where we need to be. Because you just know no black coach can just be like that, right? You just, he's, just a rah, rah, he's, he's a rah that, rah dude, right. like nah, at least he, the dudes, yeah. like least, least the dudes on uh you know the Shanahan's and the McVeighs and their assistants are all touted to be genius. Like Dan Campbell is not touted to be man Campbell, yeah. But he, when, like, yeah, he's like he's and, a he's gonna yeah. he's a football guy. Or we're I'm gonna do burpees with my players. Like, dude, just give me X's and O's, right? Like, this right. Is, give me some strategy so we don't lose. But you see, I don't know if you watch it. You have Aaron Glenn and Deuce Daly at first, and and I feel bad for Aaron Glenn because he he hitched his ride to. He was like one of these guys people talked about. He might be next because he's the Bill Parcell coaching tree. That's his right. guy. Yeah, and he never. He's probably the only person in the Bill Parcells coaching tree who's like talks to him daily. 
who never got that head coaching job, right? Yeah. And he's got the worst defense now, right? Zero blitzes and all that stuff. No talent because they went, they went receiver. They they picked a receiver with a busted ACL, right? And no quarterback instead of like build, let's build our defense, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so, but if you watch hard knocks, like him and Deuce are like cursing at each other and talking all this ish, and I'm like, a white owner is gonna see this, like, nah, we're good. Right, like, yes, yeah, because they can't do that, and 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 when you bring up these coaches have to be conservative. The black coach has to be ultra conservative, not necessarily in his politics, but just how he carries himself. Yeah. Yes, and and I think Todd Bowles was in an uncomfortable situation one because he's not, as you said, prepared to answer that, even though he probably should have something just ready to go. Like how how significant it is, right, for people to see him. Right. Like, you like know, I, representation. I went to Temple. I played in Washington, D.C., yeah, right? All yeah. these, you know, are played in where I think that's where he went, right? He played it with uh, the Washington football team, went to Temple. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Um, say all these things about representation and what it means for somebody, give them an opportunity. You should have that ready. Uh, sure, but at the same just, time, it's very that question is not really about you. Right. I, mean, I think that's the thing right. he misconstrued, right? Like that question wasn't about you. The question was about giving the next generation of coaches, right. black coaches, like an ideal opportunity that they can at some point, you know, matriculate to the top of the totem pole and get a chance to be a head coach and then face off against, you know, another, like that's not really about you and Mike Tomlin. It's about the entire profession. And and so you missed an opportunity to say what we really need. This is great, but this is something we would like to see happening, you know, multiple times in a season and like every other week or every week. And, you know, like that, that's the answer, right? Like, right. Maybe we should get a job. Maybe this is our like next life where we just do like racial PR for like right, right for the coaches. Yeah, the coaches. We'd like, be what? like uh, the Luther interpreter for uh, Obama and the key appeal. Just <laughs> right. like this, this, this is what you say. This, this is what you say. I, can we stick to coaches? The most fascinating coach out there, Dion. Did yeah, you see? Right. I caught some of that sixty minute stuff, and I thought it was it was fascinating. This idea that you never thought I never thought about it. This. Dion not only brings to Jackson State, but brings to the West, rest of the SWAC, right? Uh, opportunities that they never had before, mm-hmm. right? This idea that now all of a sudden you can talk to Coke or you can talk to Walmart. I mean, they, Walmart built in the field. Um, to me, that's 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 fascinating. His personality still fast, fascinates me. I don't know if a Power Five is willing to bet on that. Right, that's to me is is the the whatever I mean, prime time million dollar question. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go do, ahead because yeah, I threw this out to you because this is your thing. Yeah, you, know, you know this because I well I so I have not had a chance. I was traveling when this happened, but I did talk to the producer ahead of time, and then I read. Were uh, you in this? No, I did not. But I oh. I might have got a credit in the in the deep cuts of the credit. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I haven't checked that, but I I did talk to the producer. Um, and really did some some background and and telling her about you know the context upon which Dion operates right like you know these producers don't know anything about the swag so they're trying to do some background they don't know <laughs> anything about HBCU football so like they they called on me to help give them some you know make it plain for them right um and so I'm I'm looking forward I'll I'll probably check it out in the next couple of days but I did read I saw a couple of clips and I knew it was coming and I read a little bit of the transcript. Because uh, sixty minutes still gives you a transcript, you got to love it, right? Um, <laughs> and um, you know, I think Dion is an important play, important you know for HBCU sports because he is, you know, he's really the first black coach to have his own. I hate the word brand, but brand 
outside of coaching. So like he's mm. bringing that to, I mean, other coaches, but like Eddie George did never have, it brings like a kind of, um, you know, expertise as a player. Right. But doesn't bring Eddie George was not that interesting to be perfectly honest. He was extremely talented, but like people didn't talk about Eddie George as the person who we got to see him. He wasn't exciting. Yeah. He wasn't a, he was a, it was amazing Heisman trophy winning quarterback, but like, he brings a different kind of pro- process to some place like Tennessee State. Prime's ringing prime, right? Like, that's the thing, right? We coach prime. Like, we we got all these people. I saw Terrell Owens was in the tunnel with them last week when they came wow. out the home game, right? Like, prime is able to do those kind. Of, I mean, he was on the Aflac commercial before he got the job at, you know what I mean, like at right. Jackson State, right? So there's a certain kind of um, – uh, expertise and and flash that prime brings i think the thing you talked about is like is there a power five job that wants to do it i think prime's best attribute is is that he does he understands who he is now which is he is the he's the show he's a recruiter he's the band leader right but someone else is writing the music right. you know what well, i mean right you know what i mean like he's got good coordinators you know, he understands the game. He can teach, you know, the fun and fundamentals, but like developing a game plan and executing a game plan. We, I mean, we're old enough to remember Prime where like he didn't even go in the huddle when they called defensive plays. Yeah, he knows. Yeah, he's just man. Like, he's, he's like, like whatever the play is, I'm playing man out on this right. side, right? Like <laughs> the, the other half of the field is doing whatever they got to do, right? Like it don't matter, right? Um, and so I think that there's a certain kind of, um, He's been able to pull that off at, at Jackson State, and he, you know, he's rubbed some old, you know, some of the old coaches the wrong way out there. Um, but I like it. I think it gives them energy. It gives them attention. It's a, it's an opportunity for players at every school to make their name. They play well against Jackson State. They got a chance to play. You know, they got a chance to be seen. Um, I mean, I think this in some ways reminds me of the old days where you look at the like who got drafted, right? Plays, right? Like you're like, oh. You know, who got drafted? Why these black college? Because they came to see Grambling, but they had to see Grambling play Alcorn. And they're like, right. this dude from Alcorn can play. You know, like, that's how they're able to develop some of these uh, names. And so I think it's good. I mean, Prime, uh, you know, I think sometimes he'd be a little bit much. And I don't know what, I don't know if there's any any Power 5 job that that with white boosters and a white AD, like, Honestly, the only Power Five job that he could probably get and get away with is Maryland. Wow, are you coming after Loxley? Is that well, what? I'm, is that, not, I'm not getting rid of Loxley, but I'm just uh, saying because it, 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 it because it's like it like they got a black AD, they got a black president. It's Washington D.C. kind of extended. Um, it's a school with a lot, not a lot of football tradition and a, not a lot of powerful boosters beyond the guy at Under Armour. He was already with Under Armour, right? Like if you look at the. Right. Like that was the person. That's probably the place. Like Georgia Tech, people keep talking about Georgia Tech, but like the academic, <sighs> the academics of Georgia Tech make that job already more difficult than the. It's like Northwestern or Vanderbilt in a conference. Um, what about Arizona State? It does. I mean, Arizona State is a free for all, so you could go, but they're gonna be on probation. So, like, you know, I think, I think it, Arizona State has the least amount of. What's the way I would say a least amount of restrictions in terms of recruiting. So he could go out, he could do that kind of thing. Um, but I think Arizona state requires a, you know, this is, like Dion's from Florida. He played in Atlanta. 
he lived he in the south he, and he was he, in ta- and he coached in texas right, right dallas, and he's from right? dallas right like he he's a dude who like to go fishing right like there's a they don't you know like there's a certain kind of arizona state require a certain kind of african-american like i think the person they had who they got rid of i don't know if they even going to want to try a black coach but they still got the black AD. They might fire him too. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot yeah. of moving. Oh, people. they had them. They fired Herm on the field. I've never seen anyone done dirty like that. Like, I mean, and, Arizona and, State. What well, What do you expect? Like, what, well, they shouldn't be losing to who they lose to that week. Oh, uh, Eastern oh. Michigan. They lost to Eastern Michigan. They yeah. not supposed to lose to Eastern Michigan. But still, that's not you know. Wait till the like. What's crazy is all these buyouts, man. I'm like, oh my gosh, just my running joke, I'm man. Cheap. My running joke is like they like you know when I want to when I grow up I want to be a fired football coach like that is the oh, ultimate that's, that's the dream. Oh, well, Matt Rule, what is they still own forty? And I'm, I would never I would never move until that contract's up. Like I don't. I mean, why, why offset, stress yourself? He's up? got an offset though, so right. I do. I did hear this. He's got a one to one offset. So like, like there will not be a single negative story out of Charlotte until he gets another job. Right. But that's fine. I would never. I wouldn't. But if I was him, I wouldn't work though. Like, cause I'm getting forty I, million. Don't do something. What else they gonna do? Like, I, I would chill for the. I don't need that they stress. But that's. They but they they don't look at it like that. They not like, built like that's. They like stressing you know themselves that, out. You know what it is, Lou? It's like you. It's like you and me. It's just different profession. Like we we have somehow made full professor right. Like after lots of work, and what do we do? We talk about how many other books we go work on. Even right. though we don't have to write another book, right? Like, and people who like, check comes, yeah, right. And people <laughs> be like, "Oh, why would you write another book?" You're like, "Cause I don't know how to think about anything else." But right, you know what I mean? Like, and that's how they that's how they move. Um, yeah, Dion Dion's good, man. That's good. He's a he's good for Jackson. Now, I will say this: Dion, I think, has a chance to be a legend. Like the legend, the the kind of love and adoration that he wants, um, if he could do that by staying at Jackson State, yeah. You know the crazy, the most incredible thing is it gets attention now. Jackson State gets it's it gets attention, right? Like so much of Eddie Robinson really did his stuff for twenty years, thirty years with nobody noticing, yeah. And then in the late sixties, people noticed, and then I think. It didn't get as much attention more because integration comes, right? People notice integration comes. It's like, oh man, he's still winning after 15 years, but Dion has this opportunity to stay in the limelight, right? I, and and I don't yeah. think we've ever seen that at a small, whether it's an HBCU or a small school, right? Yeah. Like, there's been some great coaches at these small schools that, that come to come out of the small schools, but to be at a school like that. And people think it's a big time school because he's there. That's I don't think that's ever been done before. No, I don't think so. And I think that what Dion does is because he's already because he, he not because because of his career, right, and because of his personality, but also we for, you know he worked in the media for you know he has and so he's got all his own personal media contacts, right, as well as you know his own um, particular kind of contacts to 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 corporate contacts, right. From selling things and Coke, like you said, Coke and Walmart and all these kinds of things. So that, that puts him in a unique kind of position to that. He could actually build something, you know, he'll, he will never make the money at Jackson state that he could at Georgia tech. Cause it's just a, economies of scale. Right. But, you know, he's already made a very good living as a pro player and a post career. If he's saying that I've made enough and I could build something here that is much more substantial when I leave, not after two years or not after three years, but after 10 or 15 years, then then 
he will get the kind of act like he will get the kind of HBC you love that I think he kind of understands, but he doesn't quite. I don't think he fully gets right. And I think that part of but black colleges and black college alums will love Dion, even if they rooted against him because he what he did for black colleges, because that's going to be a really a case of rising tide lifts all boats. Right. Like right. these other programs are going to be playing against him. These other programs are going to be able to ask their administration. They're going to be looking for the next Dion, right? If you beat Dion, what kind of coach are you X and Y? You know, like there's going to be a, a there's good opportunities. And black colleges, to be perfectly honest, are in a little bit of a, a mini renaissance right now in the state. You know, the the kind of racism that the the previous presidency uh, brought forth, man. It's, you know, a lot of black students reconsidered where they wanted to go to school, and so you got you know LeBron's got a relationship for instance with florida a&m where they they got a stick there they were his name uh his name brand for their nike contract um uh there's a nike's been doing these these great kind of relationships with um all the hbcus to produce some you know gear for them like dunks and sneakers and whatnot um you know that polo morehouse spellman thing which was a little cringy in terms of his kind of classism but they <laughs> but that came through right so there's a certain kind of thing that i think that's really happening um and that black colleges at this particular time so it's a it's a really a really good moment um and we just need more teams to win right i kind of need a and t to 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 be successful now that they they're going to go to the colonial i need um we need we you know there needs to be a foil in the swack Someone that 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 kind of counters Dion, and I think that'll really that great rivalry right now right. is what we need to sell. And so, like that South Carolina State victory, for instance, la- last year in the Celebration Bowl was a good step in that direction. But you know, they need someone in conference and they need someone out of conference, so you can get that Jay Gaither, you know, Eddie Robinson, or that John Merritt, Eddie, you know, like those kind of rivalries that people yeah. begin. Like that I wrote about from the 60s and 50s and 60s. And I think that that's an opportunity for that. So you just need kind of, you know, I think Willie Simmons is close at Florida A&M. Um, I, we kind of need North Carolina A&T to get back on track. Um, Alcorn has been pretty good. We'll see if, you know, that Alcorn, <laughs> that Alcorn Jackson State game is a battle. Um, Gramlin's heading a little bit in the right direction, right? And so they just need, a, they, they just need somebody, one of those, you know, one of these programs to really kind of ratchet up and try to compete on a, you know, with um, Jackson State. Ooh, got him. I knew I'd get him if I brought up college football. I knew it. You know, that's right. Did you even, did you even step and watch that Tennessee-Alabama game? Or I did. I saw, the last, the I saw, I can't, I was, was that home by the time I came home? What day was that? Saturday? Yeah. Saturday. I, yeah. yeah, I saw that on uh, Saturday. It was, it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah, Tennessee black quarterbacks going back, back to back, are going at it. Yeah, yeah, it's great, First, man. I mean, college Bryce Young, crazy. one pick, crazy, yeah. it's crazy. There's a, we should do a whole episode on these black quarterbacks in the SEC and do a throwback episode. Right. Yeah, I'm down. You know, you know, I like Hendon Hooker. Yeah, dude can spin it. Uh, I hope he gets an opportunity. I hope this like bumps him up, and 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 I hope he goes to a place in the pros that will work with him. Right, not not rush him in. Take time, build around his strengths. Listen, just, are you I, listening, to Detroit you know, Lions? Funny though, like I actually think it, he's going to have the opposite problem. He's going to have a, a Andre Ware problem. You think so? 
in the sense that like he's gonna put up crazy numbers. This is a year they could easily win a national title. They're just as good as anybody. I don't think that you know what I mean like their offense right. is crazy explosive. Um, but you know when Andre Ware was joining that run and shoot and nobody else was there, like that five wide that spread people all the way across and we run in like nine, everything is deep. It's like Madden. Like it's like Madden on easy, right? Like they just like, what right. play are we running? We running the deepest route we got, baby. Let's throw it down there right. and get a PI or a play or whatever. Um, you know, the NFL don't, they like, we want to see, can you throw the dig? Can you throw the 15 yard dig? Can you throw somebody open? They, you know, you still got to be able to do that. It's still like that, right? And but I do think Andre Ware coming out today would have more success because more college teams are running that and they're giving the pros that type of stuff, right? Well, the pros have type, picked up yeah. some of those things and they've picked it up, yeah. And they've had to, right? It's the same thing with like formations, right? Like the pro, I think, like most pro, you know, teams were running the single wing. Then a T came in, became popular. I think the last pro team that runs the single wings is 1952, right? Because they're not getting the single wing guys from them. And it's the same thing, right? If you're mm-hmm. not getting these type of players, you want that pro style classic drop back quarterback that's going to take it under center. And hopefully you can teach that guy. Cause I don't think I was watching that game. I don't think he really goes under center, right? And you're going to have to learn. Nobody goes under center anymore. Right. I mean, right. a lot, right? They don't. A lot yeah, of times they don't. I mean, if you look at like Josh Allen still takes like 90 some odd percent of his snaps. Right. And that's yeah. right. And that's the change is that's going to allow these guys to come through, right? And this kind of innovative. So he has the opportunity. It's the same thing. You have to be able to work with it. And I, and I know, you know, we, we keep plugging our stuff. And now I'm so, I was so deep into my Briscoe readings. Like one of the things I was doing reading about Briscoe was just imagining, could it actually work? Now he's 5'10". It's, it's hard to see over the line. People always said that, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's only 5'10". But he's a rollout. He's a rollout guy, and you got to build a system that's going to roll out. And the Cowboys had Don Meredith, and they built a system that rolls out. Right? They had a rollout, and so you and these NFL teams, not you, Derek White, but you should be in charge of an NFL team or at least scouting. Uh, man, uh, um, but you got to draft a guy and then build to his talents. Right. So this, this is this, this is, is also in your region, right? This is the same problem with Justin Fields. Right. You get, right? Oh, I can't stand watching them play. I like right. Justin Fields. He's good at what he knows how to do, and the Bears aren't willing to. They're like, asking do him that. to do things yeah. that he's not good at. They're asking right. him to throw over the middle in the NFL, which is the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest hard. thing to do right. at every level, but it's like you know the windows are super small, and you know, and so he has a big enough arm where they could put him on the move, give him a little bit more run pass, and then they can uh, let him throw out on the flanks and and really and then work into the middle. Like if you look at the plays where he's messing up, it's mostly over the middle. And then they don't have enough talent. Like there's a whole like this like, is this like, is bad. So I actually think that the you know the the difference between you know drafting a quarterback and the quarterback being successful and it, them not being successful is literally. Uh, a really not a referendum on the quarterback, but it's a referendum on the franchise. Right. And, and the thing is this, if you want him, if you want Fields to be whatever you want him to be and not uh, cater to his talents, do you got to sit him for a couple of years and let him develop, right? Like it's got to be old school, but nobody wants to do that anymore. Right. Like mm-hmm. back in the day when you would say, Hey, three to five years, it takes three to five years. Now, some people like if we're going to the sixties, like someone like Namath, you don't have to do that and stuff like that. But a lot of people, if you rush them, they would be done, right? And right. now you're you're putting him out here, and you've he's had counting college three offensive coordinators in a row, and it's hard it's hard to learn that way. Plus, you got no you got no one right on the outside. Now the Eagles, on the other hand, 
did it right. Oh, we got this guy who squats 600 pounds. We're going to roll him out, and yeah. then we're going to get him a Heisman Trophy receiver, and then we're going to get him the best young receiver, <laughs> and we're going to get him a solid tight end, and we're going to run, and we're going to got great receivers. So so those windows, the catch radius, my guess of someone like an A.J. Brown it's crazy is a lot big. of difference. Because he don't right. they and, know and we're gonna throw him on slants all the time. So right. it and they matter, also right. know Jalen Hurts is like he need he needs someone with a big catch radius because he's not like he's not pinpoint accurate. He's not Patrick Mahomes accurate, right? Where you're like, I don't know how he saw that in that window, right? And right. what you want him to do is like, all right, we're gonna give him a little bit of a margin of error, and then over time he's gonna so like Jalen Hurts what played two years ago for the first time, and you're like, I don't know if he's gonna make it. Now he looks like like a thousand times better in ways, and that's why they're six and zero. And I think there's a lot, and that started with the confidence. He was able to be a little bit successful. Yeah. He he played. They played to his strengths, and now he's been. They've got a roster built around them that they trusted him enough to do that. Whereas like you drafted Fields, they still stunk, and I don't know who they like. Like they're still not good. And now Roquan Smith, who they drafted with their first pick, what two years ago or whatever, like yeah, he wants to be gone. He's he wants a stud. to be great. Like, yeah. like, and I'm like, you can't. They drafted a middle linebacker in a league where basically you need a rush in or a corner if you're drafting deep. Like, it's like some of it doesn't make right. any sense, right? Right. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, previous. And, yeah. And so, like, when you look at the just the like logistics of it, right? The reason that corners make so much money, the reason that like Von Miller is still in the league. Because it's hard to find somebody to rush the quarterback, right? And 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 Smith, who was an amazing, probably college football Hall of Fame quality player, right? That good, like right. he ain't Micah Parsons. He ain't that big, and he right. can't rush it. Like he gets swallowed up by tackles when they try to rush him off the end. Like that's just. And he's a good. He's a great. He's gonna be a very solid NFL linebacker, but he ain't that guy. And now nah, I knew I'd get you on this. Yes, keep going. And so, like I, hey. just, you know, like I just think that at some point you know, you, you, you build out your problems. And so you talk about how you build in the system around the quarterback to their strengths to watch Justin Fields. Justin Fields may still stink, right? Like he stinks right now, but he may still stink, but like he stinks in a way because they've not given him a chance to build a thing. Like we know Baker Mayfield stinks, right? Because he's had like multiple offenses built around him, and he's not been able to, to succeed. I don't know right. if Justin Fields has been given that same opportunity, right? And if, right. and if he gets that opportunity and he fails, then we can have that conversation. But like, I always feel like he's just he's in no man's land right now. And I think, right? Yeah, no, I mean you're right. Like the Eagles did, Lamar did, or Baltimore kind of did with Lamar. They still have to get him a better receiver. I, I think the Sean Jackson is going to open some things up for him. Um, they just need to pay him uh, but, some money. But but it's they, like you just got to build around your guys. If I was the Ravens. If I was the Ravens, you know what I'd do? I would trade Say for it. I would trade for DJ Moore. Yeah. Oh gosh. He's available too. I'm I'm I can't believe they haven't had these talks. Cause the one thing I will say this, I know we're winding up. We we thought we was gonna do like 20, we're in like 45 minutes, 46 minutes. The one thing that's crazy, and 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 I'll give all the credit to the NBA for this, they made it okay to lose, right? And and to do fire sales and and lose this kind of Trust the process, process, right? And now it's come to the NFL. And now you could be a fan of the uh, the Carolina Panthers and you're like, get rid of everybody because we'll rebuild in two to three years, which is hard. You better trust the people doing that kind of stuff. And I wouldn't trust them. And you better, you got to hope you Bryce Young is there or CJ. I'd probably go young because, because Ohio State just bad luck, but for, for the quarterbacks, but you better 
trust that process, but everyone's okay. Okay, McCaffrey goes fine. DJ Moore goes fine. Robbie Anderson, fine. We'll just rebuild in two to three years, maybe if we have draft picks. But but that I think that's the, one of the more amazing things about sports today is that fans don't really care if you're losing, if you if they know you're losing on purpose, right? Like if yeah. you just suck. They can't no, stand if you're it. trying like, and lose that like you're like the Denver Broncos, I'd be mad if I'm a Denver fan oh, because I was just you can't the, lose. No, no, time you out. can't lose. I'm gonna just say this straight. Yeah. This is like this is this is actual reporting right here. Because right. I was in Denver, I was in Colorado, uh, like two yesterday. <laughs> Let's ride. Oh god. <laughs> Man, the, oh, the bartenders, the 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 people I talked to in restaurants, like the the faculty I met with, man, like everybody was so angry at Denver, man. Like they're like, this is terrible because they they had brought in Russ to to give them a a shot at the at the at the Super Bowl, and it is falling apart six games into the season. It's not him though. It's like they hired a coach to get Aaron Rodgers. And they're like, well, it's, they hired a terrible coach and like brought and I think Russ, I think Pete Carroll knew. That Russ was cooked, right? Yes. Like, and and or else you don't really give up on something that great, right? You don't give up on a Hall of Fame quarterback because you know you make that kind of stuff work, right? Yeah. Um, unless they're at the tail, and you never give up on a Hall of Fame quarterback unless it's like you can't do anything. I guess about like it. Joe Namath sending him to the Rams or wherever he was. right, right, with his <laughs> double bad knees, right, right, and that's what they did. He knew he was cooked, and and he saw even Gino or Drew, and now it's Gino. So shout out to Gino for for not writing back to the people who try to write him off. But like, if you're Denver, you can't get out of that because and then of they his gave contract. him an extension. That's the part too that ah, like, two forty five. You can't yeah. get out because even if you suck, you're not picking a quarterback with a two forty five million dollars quarterback. Like you can't like they could let's say they they go and they're a top three pick and a CJ Stroud or Bryce Young can't even right there. It. You can't even pull that trigger. But the good thing is you could you could back out of there though, right? You could you could trade out of there and get more picks. And maybe that's what they're just gonna have to do. Just suck know. and build. I mean and, all right, like I we got yeah. we had forty five minutes, but these yeah. our fans fifty. Been, so yeah. Our fans have, have been waiting for a long time. So um let me say two things. One, yeah, uh what are what are your thoughts on this uh Russell Wilson personality thing that has been floating for the last week or so where uh his teammates don't like him? Oh, that's great. I th- you know what? I think that I don't I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame Sierra. I think Russell had a, always had an image of himself, and I thought he probably always thought he was better than everybody else. Um, not necessarily in a bad way, but he just wants to be separate from everybody else. And I think stardom has gotten to him a little bit, and I think he's he he just feels fake now, right? Whether it's the TikToks, uh, the commercials, the subway stuff, it just comes off fake. Like mm-hmm. you know, being at the half, being filmed at half at the the half court line or the midfield line. No praise in Jesus. It just feels so fake now. And I think it rubs people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Not talking to people, having them call your manager before you talk to you, that's awful. Right. Yeah, that's just that, I don't know how to allegedly, how, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly, right? But that's <laughs> not how things but two of them said it right at the same time. They both knew what they were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I think Marshawn was like, I just can't call you. Like I can't call you. I went to war with you. That's you know what I mean? Like yeah. I think that's bad. Right, and that that's a really bad look for 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 anybody. Because even somebody, Tom Brady, who's like probably the most famous football player ever, seems like he'll yell at you, but he seems approachable to his guys, right? Like yeah. whereas Russ, not and then the whole 
pass run. Let's call it pass run. He just he acts like he knows he's being filmed at all times, mm-hmm. and he just wants to put on a show. And and I wouldn't be surprised if some kind of lame documentary on him came out, right? That he self produced, right? Like right. this is probably what's going on. Like he's he's like like the last dance. You know how they recorded all that video? He's probably doing that of himself to to self produce a documentary or something like that. And it just yeah. seems bad. Um, let's change gears. We got because it was fifty one minutes, and we yesterday was opening night of the NBA, and uh, before before the Warriors got their rings, your man Draymond. Ooh, Cole yeah. cocked his teammate. New media, yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, uh, the Warriors? Uh, Draymond, the Lakers got a problem. Did you hear the Did you hear the post game last night from? Uh, yeah, he's right. Yeah. Well, 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 here's the thing. A couple things. A couple things. The the Warriors look absolutely perfect. Like they look as good as when Katie's there because there's no fall off when they. You know what I mean? The young guys move, and they have the better young guys because they spent two years losing. And so they got lottery picks, and then they brought everyone back. It's the most fascinating thing that's ever happened in basketball. This, that's the best the team loses, and then they get talent, and they're and it, and they didn't miss on their picks, right? And and they still have all this talent. You know what it is? And, uh, San Antonio. You remember when David Robinson got hurt, and they got Tim Duncan? Yeah, and, and they rolled Dominique, and they got the number one pick, and they got rid of Dominique, and yeah. they should have retired number twenty one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they had then they looked up, and they had Ginobili, and then they had Tony Parker, they had all these young dudes, and like. And they still had David Robinson, right? Like it was like right. this day where yeah. you're like, "Oh, I guess they're gonna retool on the fly here, right?" And yeah, David Robinson, the bet one of the best centers, gets hurt. Then they get Dave, they get the number one draft pick. It's yeah, it's kind of unfair, but yeah, uh, it's crazy. Or or the Lakers getting what? Lakers got that number one pick with Magic, and they had a lot of talent, right? No, they got right. Like, they made a trade with somebody, they made like a trade. Cleveland, and then they want to, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think Draymond's just I, I think at a certain age it's just childish, right? To to especially when you're like a hundred pounds bigger than somebody and you've got two hundred million dollars your bank. Like some stuff you should be able to just kind of brush off your shoulder. Just in life in general, but especially in in when you're in that position, just kind of brush it off. Now I know I'm I'm sure Jordan Poole's pretty annoying, right? And and so somebody probably had to put him in his place. Um and, and so look that bad. How you do it. Caught, that's not how you do it. It looks bad getting caught on camera. Um, and, and the probably did put him in his place for, for a long time. It's pretty embarrassing to him. But it's just not how you treat people. Now, the Lakers, on the other hand, they just have problems. And I think part of it is when your best player is 40, <laughs> you're going to struggle. And I, you just can't roll LeBron out there. Like, he just he's a, he's a liability on one end. Um, and you got to – if you're going to – same thing with a quarterback. If you're going to have him, you got to build around him, right? Like, so the Lakers got to make this decision. And they got to make it quick. Either we're just having LeBron for a show and and just sell to ticket. get Kareem's record, sell tickets. You, and if that's the case, then you do a fire sale and, and get draft picks or whatever. Or you got to say, this is this is our guy and we got to build around him and get some shooters. But I, I also think the reality is, and, I, and I'll stop here, there's not a lot of great shooters in, in general, right? Like yeah. there's just not a lot of great shooters to go around because the way basketball, the basketball went Steph Curry shooting, but I think guys who think they can shoot really can't shoot. Yes. Right. They can make a well, few in practice, they, but they it, just can't it, shoot. Like it's that. funny because like I was like the Warriors are a great test case, right? Cause like they, they had no money to resign like a bunch of the, 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 the guys who were like, and they young. don't care. Yeah. And they signed, uh, did you see, they saw Jermichael, Jermichael Green, right? I saw, 
I saw him make a three last night. I was like, how did they get him? Like, because he shot and he shot last year. He had his worst year shooting since his first year. He shot like 29% from three. But the year before, he shot 38% from three. And the year before that, he was like 30. And they're like, well, on this team, if you're doing 37%, like, we already got dudes who shoot, we got three dudes who shoot 40, right? So 37%, it means I now, you might actually shoot 40% because you're getting wide, wide open. Yeah, it's the same thing with Andrew Wiggins, right? right? Like, Andrew Wiggins is a a really good basketball player now because he's allowed to go one-on-one and he has one-on-one. He doesn't have talent. He doesn't have talent where he can take double teams. He has one-on-one. I'm 6'9". I got a 41-inch vertical, and I got a decent mid-game talent. Yeah. And you can't stop that. Yeah. And so it's like they're looking at that, and I'm looking at the at – the, and at the same time, they signed Jermichael Green for, like, the mid-level exception or whatever it was that they had, what little money they had. The, the Lakers are signing, like, Patrick Beverly. And I'm like, how – like, you can't be good – Right. Is Patrick Beverly can't shoot like this is a, the same problem that he's all, like that doesn't fix your issues. Right. Like it doesn't right. fix your problems. Right. Like which is, as LeBron said, we don't have guys who shoot 40 percent from three. And I'm like, they should have been able to find the right pieces. I don't think there is because huh? you got the problem with LeBron is you got to make up for him, too. Right. And so but it, but you have to have the mindset. Look, we're just going to outscore you. Right. And I think you got to go Phoenix Suns on them. Right. Yeah, we're gonna that, pace this. We're gonna outscore. That's where they really should have gotten. Like they didn't. You look at that Suns team. They got all them young wings. They should. I mean, like yeah. Steve Nash, Phoenix Suns. But yeah. Oh yeah. No, but I'm talking I'm about the current, the, the current one. Yeah. Right? Like, but that's what I was talking. Yeah. But they really need like they don't. They need a bunch of young. Like all their players on that team should be like six. LeBron should play the four. Right. He's a point. He's a point guard for. Right? right. And they should have a four, and everybody should be like six six to six nine. And they should just be long and athletic with LeBron playing the point forward, right? Yeah, and 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 yeah. AD, right? Like though, because then they don't have to have. They can play five out, and they can move the ball a little bit, and they can get slashers and and drive and kick and like, but like they can't do any of that with Russell Westbrook because he can't. He you know he not looking happy, and then you can't do that with Patrick Beverly. And then they, it's just like a bunch of pieces. You look like, dude. This is bad pieces because they got like Lonnie Walker's a young athlete, which is good. You need him. But where did he come from? What team did he play for? He was on the Spurs for a couple of years. Okay, that's and, right. you know, Anderson, Toscato Anderson is fine, but they're not. But if you want them to be three point shooters, that's not what they are. They're young athletes, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're D and no three guys, right? Yes. But what really needs to happen, though, is like, look, you don't have to. If you look at those old Lakers, right? And, and they're, they're probably scoring on those old teams in the NBA in the 1980s. They're scoring 120, 125 a night without making threes, right? Yeah. You don't have to make threes to get there, but you have to play with pace yes. to get to 120. Yeah. So if you're not, if you know, like LeBron says, we know we're not a three-point shooter, but then you got to play with pace, right? And you got to get better, but quicker that, baskets. You got to get more is, shots. Okay, LeBron can't he, can't, he, he, can't, can't, he can't play with pace, yeah. Because he don't want to run like that, right? Like, right. I mean, he shouldn't so have you're just stuck. Like 40. Yeah. So, like, they're stuck in between the past and the present. It's an interesting thing. And then all these young teams are hungry, right? That Like, you were talking about, I saw your tweet about Memphis. Memphis is on right now. Like, that they team. Won, like, I believe, yeah. That's, that's going to be a problem. Um, we gotta come back and think about these basketball things, but uh, we'll be back, ladies. I promise you, it won't be five months. We're gonna get our schedules together. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. We're just gonna put a bunch out there and just go when we have time, just yeah. random. I think you know what it is, and we'll say this in the past, we really wanted to do shows like dedicated to certain subjects, and and I think we're we're good enough to do that, but we're, I think we, sh- we could also just talk, 
Right. And I think that's fine too. So sometimes we just have to talk. So sometimes listeners, there's times when we don't have shows because we just can't produce it. Right. We just can't sit there and like, I gotta, you know, I got kids. I gotta write this book or you got you're in charge of a whole department. Right. And so, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. But, uh, cool. you know, thank you. Thank you listeners for sticking with us. Uh, and since you subscribed, it'll just pop right back up. It's pop right back, it'll back up. up. And yeah, you have something to listen to this weekend. Right. All right. On that note, peace. Peace.